Welcome to the Fastest Five Minutes, presented by Kroll and Mooring. We are your co-hosts for this edition, Peter Ayer and Yuan Zhou, bringing you a bi-weekly summary of significant government contracts, legal and regulatory developments that no government contracts, lawyer or executive should be without. We've got a lot to cover today. We're going to start with some details about the 2024 NDAA. Yuan, over to you. Perfect. Thanks, Peter. Now, the 2024 NDAA was signed into law last December. And there are a lot of provisions relevant to government contractors, and we have a detailed client alert on our website. But we wanted to mention a few highlights here. Now, first, Section 812 prohibits the DOD from awarding contracts for consulting services to contractors that are also performing active work for foreign adversaries, with a particular focus on Chinese and Russian government and affiliated entities in the absence of a contractor providing a conflict of interest mitigation plan. Now, this provision will only become effective once the DOD issues a DFARS amendment within 180 days. Next, inflation has been a big issue that contractors have been managing throughout the supply chain, and sections 824 and 826 permit the DOD to use appropriated funds to pay claims from contractors and subcontractors for economic inflation price adjustments under DOD fixed price contracts and subcontracts. Turning to Section 807, the NDAA is designating a senior contracting official within the Director of the Strategic Capabilities Office to award and oversee all contracts, grants, cooperative agreements, and other transactions for the office's programs. And finally, Section 811 also requires the DOD to develop streamlined requirements for procuring and delivering modern technologies in a manner that maximizes use of commercially available products and services to meet capability needs. Now, over to Peter to highlight a few more provisions. Perfect. Section 802 relates to the reporting requirement when contractors do not provide uh, certain types of cost or pricing data. So what Section 802 does is it amends the existing reporting requirements such that the contracting officer must make available to offerors the appropriate portions of the annual report that identifies them as having received contract awards despite denying multiple requests for uncertified cost or pricing data over the prior three-year period. This provision also requires the DOD undersecretary to clarify what constitutes a denial of uncertified cost or pricing data, including identifying situations under which denials occur, identifying whether the denial is from the prime or the sub, and establishing the timeframe for when failing to comply with the requested data is considered as a denial. Section 1544 requires that DOD establish, within 120 days of the enactment, policies and procedures for the utilization of AI technologies and protection of intellectual property of commercial entities that assist in providing AI algorithms. Sections 804 and 825 prohibit DOD from contracting with fossil fuel entities that operate in Russia or are more than 50% controlled by the Russian government. Section 805 further prohibits DOD from purchasing goods or services from companies on the 1260H list or entities controlled by companies on that list. These provisions go into effect on June 30th, 2026 and June 30th, 2027, respectively. Now back to you on for an important update on SDVOSBs. 
Perfect. Thanks, Peter. On December 22nd of last year, GSA issued a class deviation in connection with the eligibility of service-disabled, veteran-owned small business concerns, ability to compete for set-aside or source contracts under the SDVOSB program. Now, by way of background, in November of 2022, and in July of 2023, the SBA promulgated final rules that limited the SDVOSB program to SDVOSBs that have either obtained an SBA certification or at a minimum submitted an application on or before December 31st, 2023. Now, generally, a contracting officer is required to use SAM.gov to determine eligibility for SDVOSB set-asides or sole source awards, But SAM.gov was not updated by January 1st of 2024 to reflect SBA certifications or pending applications. So to remedy this issue, GSA issued this class deviation that permits COs to alternatively confirm a concern's SDVOSB status through the SBA's Veteran Small Business Certification website or the SBA's Dynamic Small Business System website. The class deviation is effective immediately, and it remains in effect until SDVOB's SBA certifications and statuses are properly reflected in SAM.gov. The DOD also issued a similar class deviation on December 8th of last year. Back to you, Peter. So this is an interesting decision out of the Armed Services Board of Contract Appeals. On December 20th, the ASBCA denied the government's motion to dismiss a prime contractor's pandemic-related claims filed on behalf of three of its subcontractors. More specifically, the board rejected the government's argument that the contractor's allegations of constructive change, suspension of work, and violation of the implied duty of good faith and fair dealing amounted to a failure to state a claim, were barred by the Sovereign Acts defense, and failed to sufficiently identify separate some certain for each of the purported subclaims. In 2019, the Army Corps awarded a design-build contract to the Prime, which in turn entered into contracts with three subcontractors to perform different parts of the work. The party structured the pricing for the subcontracts based on reasonable market and industry expectations. However, the pandemic significantly delayed the subcontractor supply chain, labor availability, and productivity. The Prime alleged that the Corps failed to provide a reasonable extension or price adjustment to compensate for these impacts. The Prime further alleged that the Corps materially changed the terms of the contract by implementing various COVID-19 protocols that restricted the manner in which the subs could perform the work. On behalf of the subs, the Prime submitted certified claims seeking adjustments to the contract and for breach of the duty of good faith and fair dealing, which the contracting officer then denied. On appeal, the Corps moved to dismiss the claims on the basis that they lack sufficient detail to state a claim. The board disagreed, finding instead that the claim had sufficiently alleged a factual basis for its constructive change, constructive suspension of work, and breach of the implied duty claims. The board also rejected the Sovereign Acts defense, explaining that it was unclear at this early stage in the litigation whether all the restrictions challenged by the prime were indeed dictated by public and general governmental acts rather than the core acting in its contracting capacity. So obviously much more to go on that case, but an interesting decision, and a lot of companies have been watching this and wondering where it will go. So with that, I'll turn it back to you on. 
Finally, on December 21st, the DOD issued guidance detailing what it means for a cloud service provider to be considered FedRAMP moderate baseline equivalent and to meet the incident reporting requirements under the DFAR safeguarding clause at 252.204-7012. Now, to be FedRAMP equivalent, a CSP must be either FedRAMP moderate or high authorized or it needs to secure a third-party assessment confirming their compliance with all FedRAMP moderate baseline security controls. For CSPs that are not moderate or high authorized, the following steps must be completed to demonstrate FedRAMP equivalency. First, the CSP must obtain an assessment from a FedRAMP-recognized third-party assessment organization showing 100% compliance with the moderate baseline controls. Second, it needs to prepare and present supporting documentation to the contractor and DOD for review, including a system security plan, system assessment plan, security assessment report that's prepared by a FedRAMP 3PAO, and any plan of action and milestones, so POAMs, documenting controls that are not fully implemented. Third, it must fully close out all POAMs resulting from the FedRAMP assessment. And finally, it must undergo an annual assessment conducted by a FedRAMP 3PAO validating continued compliance with DFAR 7012 and DFARS 252.204-7020. Now, the guidance also specifies incident reporting requirements for CSPs and the responsibility of contractors to confirm CSPs have incident response plans will follow those plans and can provide notification to the contractor following a cyber incident. Now, all of this is important for our contractors because it's the federal contractor, not the CSP, that bears responsibility and will be held accountable for ensuring that its external CSPs meet these requirements. Peter. We will wrap up for this edition. This has been the Fastest 5 Minutes brought to you by Kroll & Mooring. See you again in two weeks. If you have any questions, I can be reached at 202-624-2807, and Yuan can be reached at 202-624-2666. Thank you for joining us. The Fastest 5 Minutes podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mori LLP. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and if you enjoy our show, please leave us a review. You can find more information at kroll.com slash govconpodcast.